Hey, everybody. So this episode of Sultans of Slack is a really awesome one. And I wanted to preface it by saying that Matt's screen name when he was waiting in the lobby was Daddy Ding Dong. (laughs) So So, we didn't just create that. And like he didn't like twist our arms or force us to say it or anything like that. Yeah. We're not just weirdos that say that to famous people. So just sort of an FYI when he comes in. Um, that he's dad, Matt's daddy, Ding Dong. So excited that Matt took the time to come hang out with us. Um, every time you sit down and talk to him, he just kind of blows your mind to something. Mm. And he did that a few times. Smart guy, very down to earth, treats everyone and talks to everyone like they're just like a member of the family, almost like super, super easy conversation. Oh, and we have some housekeeping. Um, at one point in the podcast, Tim mentions a band. He was talking about Avenged Sevenfold New Direction. He's like, no, not not like the band. Well, <laughs> the band's One Direction. Yeah, I meant I meant to say something about the band One Direction, the boy band, but I actually said something. I said I called them New Direction, and I just want to let you guys know that I'm actually more proud of myself that I don't know what the boy band's name is than I am uh, embarrassed that I didn't know what the boy band's name was. So I just wanted to get that out into the Twitter the Twitter podcast verse. So everybody's aware. That's it. <laughs> That's all about <my> housekeeping. <laughs> oh, I got a humble brag. Oh, okay. Wait. That's not even... Is that a... Anyway. Humble brag. Danny was able to get out of Matt and Sin, who won the draft episode. Yeah. And that's all, that's all I want to say. That's that's a that's the humble yeah, break. You know, I feel like look at Danny's already mad. Danny's pretty mad about I'm it. I'm not mad. I'm I'm just glad I didn't get last and have to shave my beard. Yeah, that's Jake true. Jake honored it. Jake's an honorable man, our producer Jake, and he honored the beard because he had the biggest beard out of all of us, too. He had a huge beard. Um and uh but no Matt, I feel like a Matt vote is worth like ten million, probably. Well, he got Matt and Sin's vote. So, you without without getting too deep into it, you know, we'll we'll talk about that in the episode a little bit um, with Matt and get into some other info that pertains to why those decisions were made. Um, but it just goes to show, even if you make the music, sometimes uh, you make bad decisions when it comes to what's the best songs out there. So. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I don't know. Oh, we don't deserve we don't deserve Matt and the music, let alone him to come on our podcast. So yeah. That, that was really awesome. We are beyond humbled and uh, infinitely grateful to have had Matt. Yeah, and give me a break if I just sound like a big fan and not a podcast host, because I just am a big fan. Mm-hmm. Hey, welcome everybody to this week's uh, this week's episode. We have a really awesome guest for you guys today, Mr. D. Matt D. The Matt Shadows, Daddy Ding Dong is is we like to call him Matthew Frederick Shadows is what I was going to call you earlier, but Andy didn't like that name, so yeah, Daddy Ding Dong is way better. So, My son calls himself Daddy Ding Dong Junior. Believe it or not, <laughs> oh, okay. no, he doesn't. Does he really? Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> very very strange family. <laughs> I mean, whatever you guys. Hey, listen, families that bathe together stay together. You that's right. I mean? So it's that's just right. sort of. <laughs> Did you say bathe together? Oh, sorry. I meant pray together. Sorry. Um, right, let's start over. We, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, religion, I'm out. <laughs> yeah.
so Andy and I, and me and Andy and Danny all went to the Vegas thing, which was at Area 15, dude, legendary. That was so sweet because we hadn't seen you in so long. And then Andy and I were, uh, we we got the opportunity to go down to L.A. this last weekend, redeem the Pop Wonder tickets. So we, we were sitting over there on that side, which was freaking awesome, by the way. And the first thing we kind of wanted to talk to you about is like, what are you excited about? Now that you're getting back on tour again, like what what's getting your blood going about that situation? Are you pumped to be out there on the road again? Or yeah, I don't know. I'm, you know, it's been a lot a lot of work to get all this stuff going. From, um, obviously the artwork, the aesthetic, the merchandise to the record, to getting that finished, um, then to being in rehearsals for weeks and weeks with um, production. And then still working on it, right? Like we're, you know, the first thing we did the day after the forum was we got together and watched the show and we had like more notes than Santa Claus's, uh, you know, Christmas <laughs> list. So um, just getting things dialed in um, and then thinking about the future. Like if we do go to Europe um, and do like, you know, festivals next summer, thinking about what that's going to look like, getting that going. And so it's like a constant thing. Um, so you don't really have, you have time to be excited because you're like looking forward to like even MSG, that will be a little bit different because we're adding up or, you know, fixing some things that we didn't like, um, some things at the show at the forum, a lot of things at the forum, honestly, didn't work out the way we wanted them to, but they, it wouldn't be known to the audience really. Um, so it's just this, this constant thing where you're, you're always excited for the next iteration of what you're trying to get across. Um, but the idea of like just going on tour isn't like the thing that pumps me up because there's a lot of negatives with that. You don't get to see your family. You do get to go play the shows, but I really just want the shows to come off really, really well. So we're just kind of, we kind of have our heads down right now, just trying to really make sure that the next thing is one step further and then we can work from there. If that makes any sense. So it's great to play. It's great to play, but it's also, you're trying to make sure that you don't just play to, um, for the sake of playing, you're playing because you want to like put something out there that you think is compelling. And until it gets there, <laughs> you're just kind of constantly uh, working on it. Right. As um, I'll be at Madison Square Garden. Is there anything in specific that stood out from the LA show that were like glaring things that need to change by the time you get to? New York? Yeah. So, um, well, I can get get into the main thing real quick. Um, that I haven't really been able to talk about much because I haven't talked to anyone about it and they wouldn't know. But, you know, our our sound guy works between us and Slipknot. And um, we we know Slipknot's going to be doing less stuff, so we got Bob to come back onto our camp. So we had him for, um, you know, Rockville and um, Sonic Temple and Vegas. And But he had to do Download Festival and whatever Slipknot was doing in June because he had already told them he would you know, prior. Mm. Um, mm. So we didn't have Bob at um, the forum and we won't have him at MSG. The problem is that he's used to us. And even though we rehearsed with um, his guy that he, that's a replacement, once you get into an, an arena and the things are coming back and the new PA was set up in a different way and just little technical things, he was dealing with a bunch of feedback on my microphone. Um, things that he didn't really know how to, get a hold of. And so what he did was he turned off all my vocal effects. So things like ordinary have like hard auto tune and vocoder and Mattel has all those vocal mm-hmm. effects and all these things were turned off. And now in our ears, 
we still had them because they're running on a chain. And so we thought everything was happening the way we thought it was supposed to be happening until we watched the playback. And we realized that he went all dry vocal and took out all the effects. So like that was shocking to us because we didn't know because we could, you know, we were having a different mix in our ears that will be fixed by MSG, right? We're going in there a day early. We're going to make sure that he gets it under control. And then obviously moving forward, we'll have Bob back who knows the, the system. Um, right. and then there was a bunch of like, um, bunch of like graphics and things that we didn't think came across well. So we're furiously changing those and, and making them better or taking them out and adding different things in. We have this incredible guy named Ryan McKinnon who we've been working with who uses Unreal Engine 5, which, um, you know, we've kind of brought him into our team. Um, he did the video for We Love You. Um, he's like an AI. Unreal Engine, just tech wizard. And so we have a few songs that we didn't love the, the, um, stuff we were putting up there in the, in a live context. So he's actually building out Unreal 5 engine versions of what he would do. And so some of that might be implemented by MSG. Maybe we'll have to wait for the tour. I don't know how long it's going to take him. I mean, the rendering on that stuff, he brings it up in 8K and it, we've already blown wow. up like four computers. So like, oh, wow. like he destroyed four computers, like trying to get this stuff going. So the intro to the show, right? Those bumpers are all Unreal Engine, where the or the um, you know, where it's showing all that stuff, and then the skeleton comes out. That's all done on the same engine that does Fortnite, right? So right, yeah. But, but again, the guy slept at the farm three nights in a row, didn't sleep for like seventy two hours just to get that stuff rendered, and then he saw wow. like Unholy Confessions, for instance, and he's like, ah, oh, we can do better. So he's building a whole thing for that show, for that song. So I don't know when it will be done, but again, it's just like this process of making sure we get things done correctly. Is using Unreal Engine for live shows, is that something that a lot of people do now or is that, is that new? Because I, I don't know that I've ever heard that. I hadn't heard of it, but I've definitely seen some DJs do some incredible stuff and, and Ryan thinks it's been done on Unreal. Right. There's some things like online that have gone viral, these DJs that are doing these incredible sort of like things. And he's like, I think that's either Unreal or it's this other program. And he's like, either way, he's an expert in both of them. I mean, he's looking into holograms. He's looking into all these things. And he's the guy, kind of guy that all he wants to do is make cool stuff. So we're very grateful that he grew up listening to Avenge and he wants to work with us and he wants to, you know, he'll, he'll sit there all night and just try to make these things come. You know, and, and he's really opinionated on things like, oh, I think that could be better. Let, let me give, give me a shot. Right. So he's mm-hmm. the one that actually built the ticket pass. Like you, if you look at ticket pass, that's all unreal engine with that fire burning on the ticket. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're using him for everything from, and he loves web three. He loves NFTs. So he's, he's like perfect for us. Um, so it's, it's really cool to have him working on 50 different things at once. Um, and just burning. PCs as he goes along. <laughs> so what you're saying is that there's going to be a holographic death bat by the time you guys get to Salt Lake City because that'll be I think that'll be the next time. So. Well, we're looking at hologra- holograms for um for actually some some Web three stuff. So we're we're looking at some cool stuff. Like I don't know what's going to work and what's not. You know, he's he's trying to combine a lot of different programs to do a lot of different functionalities, and we'll see what he comes up with. I mean, he hasn't. Mm-hmm. He hasn't really run into a wall yet that he can't figure out. I mean, he built that We Love You video in three weeks. Whoa. And oh. and what he did, not to give away his secrets, but um, 
he basically used a bunch of programs. He, he prompted AI to, to create these scenes that he was able to kind of blend and build. And then basically took these ideas that he had prompted and then he was able to kind of carve them out into the video that it became. But without the AI aspect, there's no way he would have been able to build all those scenes and all those sets just would have been too much. And, but he's like, Oh, I've got these different AI programs and I can prompt them to bring me. And so he started sending me it and it was like blocky and shitty, but it was like, Oh, there, there's the concept. And then he was able to carve out the video within three weeks, which, so he's just a smart guy that uses the tools in the right way and, and has been really inspiring to watch him. That's wild. Is, um, is the, are the shows going to be any, de- cause I know LA and MSG aren't technically like the tour shows, is there going to be some change-ups when the actual tour starts? Because I know they're like a lot smaller venues and there's like some outdoor amphitheaters and things like that. Like Tinley Park is a show that I'll be at. Um, is, it, does, is that going to change what you can and can't do like based on is the audio going to be different for those kind of venues? Well, you know, one thing that we really tried to do was there's, a, there's like a, there's like this issue with rock bands going into arenas that the, the, the tours don't do as well. And um, they do really, really well in amphitheaters. And certain cities, it's way more apparent than others. Like Live Nation will show us the numbers and go like, listen, you know, Band X came in and did this arena. These are the amount of tickets they sold. Here's the gross. You know, here's what we can pay you. And then if you go to the amphitheater, it's like 5X, right? Because people would rather go sit on the lawn, get a cheap ticket, and they're buying beverages and they're buying, smoking weed and they're buy, paying for parking, which helps Live Nation be able to pay you what they need to pay you to put on that show. So sure. mm. there's like this like balance of like, we really didn't want to do any amphitheaters because we want to build a show that we can really do a bunch of stuff. But if you think about an amphitheater, you really can't hang stuff over the audience. So if you take like Travis Scott's show with the, you know, the, like the, um, what is it like a roller coaster that goes over the audience and there's these long ramps yeah. out all that mm. stuff you can't do in amphitheaters. So you kind of have to make your show work in a way that can translate to both, or you're really going to be in trouble when you go into amphitheaters. And so we made the decision that we would do kind of, we would go into, we would go into amp or I'm sorry, arenas when, when it made sense and we were really dead set on it. And then there's certain places like Tinley park or, places in like um, New Jersey that just do better in the amphitheater. So we had to make a show that kind of translated pretty well. So I think the only thing you're really going to be missing is the thrust that goes out and the PA is kind of behind us. The PA now will be like center or like even with us. Mm-hmm. And then those sidewalls will be able to work, but it's just not going to look, look as in depth, right? It's just going to kind mm-hmm. of be the flatter version of the same show. And that's just kind of what you deal with when, um, you know, just being the kind of band that we are and just dealing with logistics of, you know, what people are willing to go, what kind of show they're willing to go see and what they'll do. And it's just a balancing act. Well, we do this. So we had the, the side stage tickets, right? So we were behind the screen, uh-huh. and, you know, and you guys kept walking up and like peeking through it and stuff while, you know, every, like everybody did that. And at first when we sat down, we were kind of like, Oh, I don't know about this. But once the show started, like you, like you basically couldn't tell it was there until I think 
either I think a little piece of heaven had like a um, a skeleton that was playing the saxophone. Yeah. Then all of a sudden we're just like watching the show and then like a like a fifty foot holographic looking because it's like in front of us, you know, yeah. skeleton pops up and was dude. It was my wife got a really cool video of it, but um, that that was. That setup was so was so awesome compared. You know, I mean, we're all used to seeing you guys with the fire, which is awesome too. You know, every everybody that's into metal loves pyro. Yeah, but this this was like, um, you know, and, and I'm not spoiling anything for anybody, but uh, definitely go out and see it because the way that you guys kept going back to the to the room, like the Libad room and stuff like that, bro, I got our blood boiling a little bit. We were so pumped about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, we were. You know, we're just trying to do. I, I think we can. We can improve on the, the things that are on the screen. Um, but a lot of it was just about keeping the stage clean. And I, I think for me, like my favorite part of the set is what we do with nobody, where it's just like the, those crazy white lights and like the crazy symmetrical stuff. And it just feels like you're like just completely thrown off. Right. Um, so one of the things was like uh, one of the terms we were using was like, okay, don't go to the heavy metal junkyard. And what we meant by that was, you know, you go to these production companies and they go, Oh, that catches on fire. Use that. And then, <laughs> Oh, I know where that was, what tour that was from. Can you refurbish that? And we'll do that. And then everything catches on fire and everything's blowing up. And then there's like backdrops and there's, you know, like, and so we're like, we don't want any of that. We don't want any like levels to the stage. We want it to be like this clean, flat sort of like, yeah, there's like a, the edges go up, but it's like, there's nothing out there. And it's just kind of like the space that you can kind of just do whatever you want. Um, and then the EDM way is like, there's a bunch of video walls, like in your drum riser or they're in this and that. And so we wanted to go like just something different. And those scrims are like interesting. Cause yeah, you can see through them. Um, it, they're just an interesting way to kind of project on it. So we did like a ED or a LED with projection mapping. And I think it's really cool. It's, it's a different look. It's just taking a break from the the, the same old things that you would normally do. Right. And right. yeah, even that, into how we did the set. Like we wanted to rethink encores. We think encores like at this point, we're just, they're a little, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. A little, yeah. little, little boring, like a little, um, like cliche almost like cliche. Not, or, it, it used to, yeah. it used to be like a special thing, but now it happens yeah. all the time. Kind of. Dude. Yeah. So it's like, you might as well just put it on the set list. It might as well just be totally. there anyways. Right. And I was actually mm-hmm. bummed because whoever wrote our set list put encore before God, but it's not an encore. That set does roll yeah. straight through. Um, yeah. and, so no encore. And then we also wanted to fuck with people on the end. You know, <laughs> yeah, but, um, <laughs> we, um, you know, the, the, the story behind that is the record's uncomfortable. If you actually read the lyrics and you, and you, you know, and you take it all in other than like, Oh, is this heavier? Is this fast? Is this, the record is like, it's like, there's like a beautiful depression to it. It's mm-hmm. like, um, it's it's uplifting if you choose to take it that way, but it can also be extremely depressing. And but the thing that it does make you do is it makes you think about how you feel about it. Um, and so we wanted the live show to do that too. We wanted thousands of people to be stuck together with not really sure what just happened. And um, <laughs> so when we, you know, and I just seen a movie, um, Bo is afraid. And I had that feeling in that movie when, when the end of the movie happens, you're just sitting there and you're sitting there for like five, 10 minutes and no one knows if they should get up or not. Like no one knows what to do because you're just so uncomfortable um, with what you just saw. But I tell you what, I think about the end of that movie every single day 
because it made me feel something that I don't feel in my everyday sort of life. And my wife took something different from it than I did. And I know the people next to me probably took something different from it than I, and you know, than, than she did. And so when we came up with that ending, we just felt like that was going to really put the nail in the coffin of anyone that's just like, <laughs> like, what are these guys doing? Like, um, and, uh, and I've never seen so many people react to the ending of a show. Oh. You see the, 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 um, the funny takes like the, I can't believe you didn't thank us. I can't believe you wouldn't even say bye oh to us. God. I can't believe all the yeah. Oh and so, and so wow. like, and to me, that means it did its job perfectly. Oh yeah. Like for sure. you sat there with whoever you were with and you just went, huh? Like what? Like, and, um, uh, do we leave now? Like, what do we do? <laughs> like, Dude, that's uh, exactly what it was like, yeah. like at the end of, <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. They were so I love this iteration. I feel like Avenged Sevenfold's had all these iterations, and this is by far my favorite. Right. Um, I appreciate it. And I, I say that because I think you guys are all super funny, like people. And <laughs> for being a fan for so long, like a lot of, the, I feel like a lot of the history of the band was, you know, were these serious. Uh, there was these spots, right? Like uh, um, self-titled. There's a lot of these spots where you kind of. You saw your humor come out in the music, but right now it's just like all cylinders are firing on this band. Like you guys are hilarious and you're bringing that out, yeah. but you're also like super introspective and like smart and that's all coming out and it's all like getting funneled now into this live show. I was, I was blown away. I thought it was amazing, but I appreciate it. I think, I think if you take a record, like one, one of our philosophies on it was listen, if the record is, is, has is deeply rooted in a lot of absurdism and like hyper surrealism and all these sort of, I guess, truths about um, what's going on here. Right. Like there are truths about um, the nature of being and the nature of self. And if it's truly absurd, there's a lot of comedy in that. Like mm -hmm. it's okay to be funny. Like, when I think of, and one, one person I think of when I think of that kind of stuff is I think of like Quentin Tarantino films where I think, oh yeah, like yes. there's so much comedy in that stuff. And, and usually the subject matter is super dark. Um, mm. Very heavy. Yeah. yeah very Gino, heavy. Dude. Yeah. Right. But there's some funny shit in there. And so like <laughs> yeah. things like leaving threesome and game over or bestest <laughs> part of waking up or I want to be the human you be like, yeah. Right. Those, those, it's, it's funny to kind of be reading something so serious and go like, Oh, okay. They're, they're not taking yeah. themselves that seriously because it's, it's all absurd. It does. It's let it be what, it, what you want it to be. It's funny. And that, and that, that comment that Andy made about that, it's like now that, you know, we've been lucky enough to, to meet you through Death Bats Club and hang out and talk and kind of get to know y'all as people rather than just like rock stars on stage. Right we can kind of make that connection now. And I think a lot of the people in death bats club can, um, yeah. And you know, it's something that hasn't happened before. Tim, I pick on Tim all the time. Cause I don't, I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to any other episodes, but he's always mentioning this is my 19th show or my 20th show, but I've never had a connection and, you know, yeah. not to really go off into the 21 in LA, there you go. 21 in yeah, LA. So, <laughs> not to really go off into the, the weeds of, you know, web three and things like that, because it gets talked about a lot. Um, it's, it's just a connection that, 
is is better now and like we understand like I, and i think that's why so many people are connecting to the music is because you know they've had the chance to get to know the people behind it and it's not you're here and we're here you know yeah, yeah. and i also think the thing about death bats club is dude i would have killed for something like this when i was like i did i killed, um, i've killed a few people yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no totally and death bats club will help you bury the bodies no um, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but like if i would have had this for like like bad religion or pantera or anything like you know like when i was like going to a lot of shows and traveling around and like i remember i would go to like every h2o show and i would follow bad religion around and you know, like if I had like a group of people that I was meeting up with, they kind of, the shows are great. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but it's like really about the vibe and it's about mm-hmm. the people you're hanging out with. And like, because I've, I've gone to shows that have been okay, but I've had the best time because of the people I'm with and just being in an environment that's exciting and fun. And, you know, like the music lasts for what, an hour and 45 minutes, but it's like the 48 hours before and after that are kind of like really what make me feel that makes um, live shows really compelling. Right. It's like walking oh, into yeah. the venue. Yeah. And you see, like I went to sick new world, you know, after Vegas and just walking into the venue, like walking up with like thousands of people with like corn and system of a down deftones shirts on and like everyone's just excited. And then you get in there and it's like running from stage to stage to stage. It's like, and I was with some buddies and it's like, dude, that's like the bands were great. But what I remember the most was like the, like the, the, the environment and just the, the vibe of, of everything. So I think that's, what's so cool. That's, what's so cool about um live events. That's what, you know, streaming concerts will never, ever touch, you know? And, and mm-hmm. I play yeah. like PGA golf on the, Oculus sometimes with my friends and it's really good because like everyone's there and you're you're laughing and everyone's got avatars and everyone's you know making this motion when you're trying to hit and it's like funny yeah. <laughs> but, but but at the end of the day like the, the end of the day you're never you at this point you can't replicate what it feels like to go to a live show or play a real round of golf yeah. or whatever it is like with real people so um yeah it's Death Bats Club has been amazing because of the friendships that I've seen happen yeah this podcast wouldn't be happening i mean that's that's one of the things and then we we've been all over i mean we've had a lot of fun with it for sure and it's cool that you still have that passion for because i feel like a lot of guys you know get into their profession and they don't have that passion anymore maybe for it but like the fact that you're still going to shows and stuff i think that's why we get to enjoy it is because the guy at the top still has the passion for it and enjoys it and you know wants wants to provide kind of the, you know, the same product. Yeah. And I think, I think taking a bunch of time off really helped all of us. Um, obviously, you know, I don't even, cause even to be honest, like even going and playing older songs, it's still, it could be way more painful than, than it is. Meaning like <laughs> you feel like you're like, Go, moving on in life and you're doing these new things and you're excited about them. And then all of a sudden you start playing, you know, afterlife or unholy confessions for the five billionth time. And you're like, okay, <laughs> like, like, okay. There's a part of me that's like, Oh, I don't want to do this right now. I don't want to do this. And there's a part of me that's like, okay, 
I'm okay with this because I just took off six years and I can do this, mm-hmm. you know, but I really want to go play the whole live bad record and some of the stage, right? That's what I really wanted. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. That's oh, right. By I the never, way, the stage, you, the you, stage in, in LA. Oh yeah. Dude playing the stage. That was, that was the surprise Sorry. of the show. That was awesome. It felt so good. It's so fun to play that record. And like, that's, you know, and I think there's other things like, if we didn't write our songs so damn long, we could put more of them in this. You know? <laughs> yeah. like, it's like you put a new song. It's like, okay, there's another 10 minutes. And then you're like looking at these things. Like, oh my God. What I would love to do is like do this tour where I think it's smart to play a lot of the new record. And then you play some of the big hits. And then I would love to like add things in like cosmic and some other yes. things on my bad, but then like get some deeper cuts in, but we really need to figure out, because what people don't realize online is like what, like maybe 300 or 400 death bats club showed up to the forum. Right. And there's like 14,000 mm-hmm. tickets sold. So th- 13,500 people aren't in death bats club and they're not on the Reddit and they're not following every show. They're going for that one night and then they're moving on with the rest of their lives. Right. They're, they're fans, but they're, and people get so hyper, like, they're watching everything we do and they're going, well, they, they should be changing it up for us. Or they should be doing this and they should get rid of Hail to the King. Don't play Hail to the King. It's like, well, Hail to the King has double the amount of plays of any song that we have. Like, we're, mm-hmm. we, you don't just rip that out of the set list and think that 13,500 people that haven't been to every show or following it online are not going to be pissed off, right? And then you, right. you times that by Afterlife and you times that by Nightmare and you times that by Unholy. You just can't rip those things out or you're really... But I think you can do it the second time you come back. You can kind of move some of those out and you can move some new stuff in. But it's a really difficult thing, especially the more records you do. And um, yeah, it's just that's just part of like the whole process of like, what do you play? What do you do? And it also costs, you know, we talked about on that other spaces, um, incredible amounts of money to put that into the show, right? Like different mm-hmm. things into the show. Like, are you going to spend... 10 grand in a week of rehearsals to put MIA in the set set maybe, but that's a, that's a thing you're going to have to do. Then you're going to have to go rehearse it. You're going to have to get the team to build stuff out. It's going to have to look good. It's going to have to fit in the set. You have to take out something that people are going to be mad about. So it's, um, it's, it's all fun. It's all good though. It's, you know, these are problems (laughs) that that we, they're not fixable, but they're, or they're not solvable, but they're, they're fun to kind of play with. Well, they're good problems to have too, you know? I mean, like, geez, you guys have so many songs that are, I mean. (laughs) That's true. That's a pretty good problem. That's like an excellent problem to have. We, we, when we first saw each other at the pop-up, you you and me and Danny and Rafa were all standing there together, you know? And I, and I was like, do you remember playing in Blackfoot, Idaho? And you were just like, no, bro. (laughs) (laughs) But Rafa did. Rafa, he's like, oh yeah, he's like 10 minutes from Pocatello, Idaho. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. But back then, like, the what? show, I, yeah, <laughs> I and, and back then, I feel like maybe, maybe it was City of Evil had just coming out, come out, or maybe it was the self titled, I can't remember. But like then, it felt like, geez, you guys hit every song that anybody could want to hear at, at that point, you know what I mean? And it was like, but now I can totally understand the dilemma because it's, dude. Yeah, some people want to hear, you know, some people want to hear, I mean, you guys are all, you guys play Buried Alive, every, which is my favorite song, you know, by the way, but, but like some, I, I can understand how it's tough to pull things in and out and, you know, the web, the internet situation is so critical of that sometimes, but it's, yeah, it's, it's and they're not even like, at the shows. They're just like sitting there going, what'd they play? Oh my <laughs> God. 
Can you imagine? It's like setlist.com. Oh. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Oh, we're, not a, we're not a jam band, you know? Like, we just don't, you know, we're not a jam band. We don't sit there and jam things out and then just go, oh, here's some lights. <laughs> like, I was just going to say, like, there's things like that are in our, like, top 20, which even if we put those in, those wouldn't be considered deep cuts and people would be, still be mad. Like, if you play Shepherd of Fire, mm. Welcome to the Family, Almost Easy, Beast in the Heart, like, we didn't play any of that stuff. If we did, they'd still be mad. They'd be like, oh, can't believe they're still playing... <laughs> you know those. And, then it's like, and then everyone wants like the random b-side like you should play dose you should play you know uh sidewinder you should play the wicked end and it's like right they but you no should one, play dose yeah <laughs> no one like they're not yeah it's just so scattershot like and so yeah. it's um it's just a it's a thing that like it is what it is right it's like whatever it's it, it you're right it's a good problem to have there's a bunch of songs that people want to hear um so yeah never been to a bad show i've never been i've never been to one of you guys' shows and been like and, and just been like oh that was that was lackluster you know what i mean i've never experienced that and it just goes this dude if you if people are listening like just get up and go to the show because it doesn't matter what the set list is it's always going to be good just, yeah it's just a vibe right it's just a vibe that makes yeah. me think though we we kind of know what the show's are, are like and you you mentioned it in vegas i'm i'm curious what what your kids thought oh yeah that they saw their first event sevenfold show in vegas isn't that what you said yeah i mean they'd been on tour but they were it was five years ago so river was five and cash was three it was it's weird because i can't think of another situation where i have i'm a pretty hands-on dad so i i know a lot of the people at the school i know all of his, their friends and they've just never seen me play but there's like this, I guess, information out there that I think River's dad plays music or something, right? And they're like, they'll mm. listen. And like, um. they, the, a lot of the parents are fans, like a, they're my age or a little older. And they know, but the kids never knew. And so when we started playing again, I think they were just like, what? Like, <laughs> like this is crazy. And I then, thought you were into crypto, dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they sit in my lap while we buy That's NFTs. Um, but... <laughs> So I think the form was crazy. It was really cool for them because they brought like all their friends and we gave them all backstage passes. So they're running around and then they got to see it and they had like a little box seat. And then, you know, so now, you know, the next morning I took River to a basketball tournament. So we were in like somewhere in like, like near Riverside and we went up there and all the kids on his team were like, yo, Mr. Sanders. That was so cool. Like, <laughs> thanks for the show. They all came to the show, you know, like, and they all like stare at me a little different. Like, oh, he really, he's not yeah. that guy on YouTube. And then they were like, you know, they're like, oh, I can't believe you came to the tournament. And I'm like, I come to every tournament. Like, yeah, but you just played last yeah. night. Like, yeah, I played and then I came to the tournament. Like, yeah, your I don't parents know. went yeah. to work today too, bro. Yeah, everyone. Yeah, we're here to watch the kids. Let's go. So it's, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's funny. It's got to be funny for them. That's so cool. Mr. Sanders, I love that. Touching back on the music, Beast in the Harlot is such a polarizing, like, should it be played live song? And um, Sin is just like, he hurls himself off of cliffs saying he'll never play it. Like, what's the what's the hate behind that song coming from? I mean, do you hate playing it as much as he does or what? I don't hate it as much as he does. I think it's a funny track. I think it's awesome and goofy and sugary and 
Yeah. And it, it's a, it's, it's got a singable chorus. Everybody in the crowd can sing the chorus, you know? And like, what's the, is it because he has to like carry notes? It's like the melody of it never goes anywhere. It doesn't, there's no like hook or melody that it's like such a funny thing. It just rambles on and on and on. And it just keeps changing keys and doing these <laughs> weird things. And it's like, I don't even know how, like we're, it's amazing that we started off city of evil with that song. Right, um, yeah. But again, it, it made an impact, right? And I think it's fucking awesome. It's fucking rad. But it is yeah. a little bit of a chore to play live. It's, it's, I know it's annoying for him to, he thinks it's a little sugary. He thinks it's, um, a little, he can't move when he's playing. He's stuck on the mic. He's constantly doing things that he doesn't necessarily enjoy doing. So I think he just doesn't like playing it. That's all. So it's a grind. It's just a grind. He's constantly doing like arpeggios and singing with me and, you know, there's like, yeah, there's not much that he can do. And I think it just gets a little like standstill stuck. And by the way, this song is sugary as fuck. Like, do we have to yeah. play this thing? Well, I, I thought he was just joking about it until like, I, I sent you the thing about, you know, the albums that we built and obviously you picked Andy's as well. And I told him, so he's very happy about that, but freaking rude, dude. I thought you would pick Sin, mine. Sin, Sin's yeah, response yeah. to me was I would have picked yours, but beast in the harlot is such a shit choice. Like he's dead serious about hating that song. So yeah, yeah. it's wild. Danny's mad about it. No, no, still I just thought, you know, it's, it's, it's upbeat. Like, I don't know. I, I, I like it. It's, a, Dude, it's an I, enjoyable song. When it came out, you know, we were in, we were in high school and we were already deep into the Avenged Sevenfold like situation. <laughs> yeah, we, we and there two was only albums. two albums at the time, but like we were obsessed. But when that when Beast and the Harlot came out, it was so different than um, like Waking the Fallen. Yeah, that we it was like it like sent us reeling for a second, and then like it was a multiple listen. And then once we listened to it, we were just like, dude, the new direction. That's it's not like the new direction, like the boy band, but I meant the new direction. That, that you guys are <laughs> and I didn't mean to get hung, hung up on that song, but like, I just figured I'd bring it up since it was talked about, you know? Well, I think it's a good point though, because it's like, I think like when people ask me about like, Oh, how do you write songs? Or what do you know? Like, like, like there's some secret. There's not, this is just what I think. I think the artists that I like have tastes that I like. Right. And I think if their taste, if they, if they hear something that I've, I haven't heard and they've gone in a direction, it's for a reason that there's something there that like really excites them. And I just think that we have a taste that I think everyone, I think there's so many, there's so many things to like about the things that we're pulling from, whether it's Rammstein or Daft Punk or these are like great artists. And I think if you can extract stuff from it and then kind of put it through your own lens, if you're not, if you're not like completely dead set on the last thing, then you should trust that the artist that you like can create something that that's going to be badass. I'm just going to use the term badass because that's just like such a open-ended term. It's like, right. it doesn't need to be in one thing. It's like just badass. Like I think, I think Jesus is badass. And I also think random access memories is badass. Mm -hmm. I think dying at words, badass. I think tenacious D is badass. I think there's, I think there's so many things that are just cool. Um, and then it just depends on what, what, ang or like what angle you want to attack it from. And as long as you fall under the, the blanket of like, this is, this is rad. Um, then it doesn't have to be any sort of genre. And I think beast and the harlot kind of did that. It was like, these are driving riffs and it's taking from a lot of like European power metal, which is fucking rad when it's done. Right. Mm -hmm. And 
um, there's like an American attitude that's kind of injected into it that they don't have in Europe, right? They don't have the, that sort of like, it's kind of swagger. And so I think Beast in the Harlot works because, you know, it doesn't really matter that it came after Waking the Fallen because both of them fall under the umbrella of, I can fucking jam to this. This is fucking sick. Like, yeah. I get it, right? Exactly. It doesn't need to be, doesn't need to be breakdown, sing, breakdown, sing. It's just something different. Those, those riffs grind. They fucking roll. And, um, Jimmy, Jimmy's drums on that track are amazing. That's all you kind of, you just want to find artists that you, that you appreciate their taste, I think. And that they're, that's what we always call Wes, like on that GQ article, they say the world's greatest tastemaker. And I agree. Like you look at his art and it's like, it's, it can be completely different from something else, but it's like, he has good taste and I agree with his taste. Um, and so you kind of want to like be in the camp of like, Oh, what are you doing next? Even if it throws you, it's like, okay, well, I trust that your taste is good. Mm. Oh, and I saw Wes in LA and I was too shy to go get a picture with him. <laughs> <laughs> I sent this album, I sent Liebad to my brother-in-law. He's like a big music guy, Griffin. Tim knows Griffin, but he's a school teacher and he's like a big music guy. He's not a huge metal fan or not a big Avenged fan either. But I sent him the album. I was like, you need to listen to it. It's, I think you'll like it, but you know, I just want to hear kind of your review on it. And it was like one sentence he sent me back. He said, these guys are playing music for themselves and I love it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think we always have, it's just the, the lens of, um, there was so much stuff to explore in rock music and we've done it throughout our career, right? There's been these hints, whether it's hard auto tune on loss, but it's really, it's really saturated in a punk rock sort of, um, Iron Maiden meets punk rock sort of tune. Mm-hmm. So you, it doesn't stand out as much, right? Or, or like a little piece of heaven stands out a lot, but Beast and the Harlot, that stands out to me, or Wicked End with the middle there stands mm-hmm. out, or the end of Sidewinder. Oh, We've just always done it with like this sort of really like 75% rock. And this one, because of how much we wanted it to switch genres and change turns, we just felt like if you, if you kept it so rooted in rock everywhere, then a lot of the, um, the shifts would kind of pass you by because there's so much, you know, there's like, Oh, there's always got to be distorted guitars or there's always got to be like this heavy drum kit. And so to kind of really make the left turns seem like they were almost U-turns, you kind of had to like let the bare bones vibe of each song emerge and sometimes you need to strip back some of the things that before would kind of mask the, the, the insanity. Um, cause I think even like the stage has some insanity on it. Like there's like the horns and, um, Sunday disposition. Yeah. I just think if you go through that record, there's so much cool stuff, but there's so much weighted in metal that sometimes you have to really understand the record before you hear the, you know, the, the, the eclecticness in it. But this one, we just, we didn't um, abide by those rules just because it was more exciting to us to have like a fuck dude, like a 808 driven trance <laughs> EDM right. beat, you know, like with like this sort of piling on of vocals. Like we just felt like all those things needed to shine. And when you, when you put too much on top of them, it starts to take away the shine, take away the edge. The the yeah. 808s in cosmic. Um, oh my gosh. Dude. I, I, Bought this used truck, but it has like this like little sub in it. 
<laughs> and I, I like I so I bought the CD, and you know how much like the quality on the CD is just so much better than like streaming and stuff. So I th- throw it in and I'm listening to it in this truck and that part in cosmic comes out and about rattled me out the window. Yeah. Like the breakdown. The <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. It just starts like so sick tapering Ooh. and peaking and stuff. Yeah. And then there, and then there's like a bunch of 808s at the end that are like more of like a, like they're just kind of driving that thing at the end with the vocoder. Those are all things that right. we really like, you know, those were the important things um, in the mix. You know, so it was like vocoder and 808s. Everything else has got to take a back seat. 808s are driving mm-hmm. this thing. Brooks's drums are insane there. We're blowing them out on purpose. Like the the toms just like just overplaying, like he's just rolling around that thing. But it's like this, it's chaos. But it makes sense. But it's, you know, and I think that there's just a lot of there's a lot of people that listen to our genre that haven't heard stuff like that. So they instantly get like they're thrown off balance, right? It's thrown off kilter. But I think, I think once they live with it, it'll, it'll make sense. Because people like people, people say the record doesn't make sense. I'm like, no, the record makes sense. You just need to like, no. you need to like <laughs> understand it first, and then it makes sense. So it's, it's not just fucking shit thrown at a wall at all. Yeah, yeah. anybody's gonna like something on it. Is is kind of what I draw from it. Which brings me to like the song G is ob- it's my favorite. Like, it, but it's so it's such a specific like vibe, like who, whose idea, like who, who brought that to the table for that song? Yeah. So it first started off as we wanted to make like a seventies game show, sort of like 70 seventies game show, sort of like intro tune. Right. We, we were playing around <laughs> with that idea and like, and like in the beginning, um, that, that drum transition where Brooks goes to the before it, like, and I, I'm like ad libbing over it before the, the, the lyric was, it was, it was like an anti-religion song and it turned into a way more tongue in cheek version of that. But it was like, uh, it was God talking and God was like, so is that your final answer? So the whole thing was like, it was like, um, who want, or what's that? Who wants to be a millionaire or whatever. Right. And he'd oh, yeah, like, yeah. is that your final answer? Like, so and that, that didn't work out. Like, so the song changed, but it started off as like a seventies tune, you know, like, and then, so we took a lot of inspiration from, like Frank Zappa, who does tons of things that are like that, where it's just like, oh, hey, come on, right up. And Faithful Moore does a lot of stuff like that, where even like with Mr. Bungle, when, um, like when you think about like, um, what did he, no, there's a song, there's a Faith No More song. It wasn't an inspiration for this, but lyrically it was like in terms of like, um, oh, don't touch that dial. Like, you know, like sort of like, you know, like, hey, come on. So it had that sort of like, vibe and so we were we were really like so the influences there were frank zappa steely dan and like stevie wonder and we were trying to make those three things feel like a 70s talk show jingle while there was just a super like um narrative sort of um thing happening another influence would be like i don't know if you guys have heard rv by um Faith no more, mm-hmm. and and basically it's just it's just like Mike Patton sitting like in an RV and he's just like miserable. He's like, oh my my balls itch, my buttocks. <laughs> the whole time he's like, oh. <laughs> you know, he's just super bummed on life and it's just depressing, right? And like and like it's just you sound like you're in this RV park and it's just like, Ugh. um, so like trying to like kind of capture that vibe with the seventies 
and it became G. And yeah. then it, you know, it worked in in tandem with, you know, O and D. And we just felt those were three very vastly cool. We had a, we had a lot of things written to work in that song. And we ended up taking the three most drastic things we felt were the most cool, drastic shifts, and we cut them down to the the bare minimum of what they needed to get the idea across, but not overstay their welcome. Right. So G, two verses, two choruses, O, no chorus, it just rolls. And then D again, two verses, two choruses, and there's not really a chorus. And then the ending, like the ending was more supposed to be like a rite of spring, very uncomfortable as end of life's kind of building up. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was kind of the mindset behind it, you know, just kind of don't overstay your welcome, but really make people like whiplash in terms of what they're hearing. Yeah. I really feel like too, in those three, in that last set right there, it really highlights your voice, you know, because like, dude, as Avenged Sevenfold fans, there's all, I mean, you read it online, but there's always this roller coaster thing of like Matt's voice and like, where's it going and all this kind of stuff, right? Like, I'm sure you have to deal with this. I, I don't know if, how annoying it is to you or not, but that those last three songs really highlight like, dude, you sound so like you're, I, to me, your voice has never sound so good. And it's funny because my my wife showed me a thing the other day and I don't remember who you were talking to or whatever, but she's something about you holding your hand on the side of your neck or oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Her head. Right. And so, um, and that's something to do with like the vocal stuff that you have going on live or, or the stuff that you've been working on, like to help with your range or what is that? Yeah. So when I was with Ron Anderson, he was really teaching me to sing, like bring the head voice down. Right. So you get really high. And then as you go down, kind of bring that lightness all the way down. When I got injured, it was clear that something was giving away in the bottom, like something was giving away in the middle of the voice. And then at some point it was like breaking off and that's where the chord wasn't vibrating in like F, F sharp and G, which are, you know, if you go through the tracks, it's like afterlife starts in F G or uh, nightmare starts on F sharp. Every song is like right in there. So for the vocal cord to not <clears throat> vibrate there was a big problem, right? That's why I needed to have, you know, my, that surgery and do all these things to try to get it working again. So when I started working with Seth Riggs, they're like, no, 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 no. You need to be singing from the bottom up and you need to hold the anchor of the voice. So like the voice seems like you're, you're talking as you go higher, but it's holding in the same spot. It's not like floating up with the larynx. It's not floating up with all these different things. So since it's a new technique and it doesn't matter how long you practice it, you know, you're going to walk on stage and there's going to be a bunch of bad habits that instantly get flooded in because you go back to that, like, thing that you can't really, you can't really like practice for it, right? You can't, you can sit in rehearsal all day and you can sit on the FaceTime all day with them or in person with them. But until you get there and there's 13,000 people, there's all these old things that are going to go, Oh, that's how I hit that note. Or this is what I used to do, but I can't do that anymore because I've completely reworked where the, where the notes are going to be sung. So one thing that I can feel is if I, if I, cut my ear a little bit, I can actually feel the cord being weighted down and holding in the right spot. When I have my in-ears in like this, there's so much ambience going on and so much craziness that I, that I can start losing the plot a little bit. Um, so 
what I'm doing right now until I get really used to playing live is I'm just kind of barely bending my ear to where I can feel the chord sitting in the right spot. And so I only do it when I'm going through F and G. Um, So when F and G happen, I do that and I go, okay, it's in the right spot. And that's kind of what I'm doing. It's like a little, it's a little life hack. I, yeah, do what you got to do because we'd rather have you on stage than. Yeah, two hour sets. It's (laughs) like, as soon as that thing starts going the wrong way, it can just shut the voice down instantly. And um, we can't have that. So got to keep it, got to keep it rooted. Got to keep it strong. Keep the, keep the mix happening with the anchor of it. Yeah. The way that's the terms they use. You got to keep the anchor. Hey, you slackers. Thanks for tuning into this episode. What an honor to have M shadows on the show. If you haven't heard the new album, check that shit out. Just want to fill you guys in on what's coming up next week. The boys met up with, Lead man of Atreyu, Brandon Saller. Um, we're here with Brandon Sallers. Saller, no S on the end of it, right? There's only one of me. I'm not plural. Where Brandon convinces Andy to quit his job. That's true. I'm a really shitty singer and I'm barely a drummer. I was that at one point also. You just got to keep on going, man. You can do it. I got to get back in. <laughs> You're only 36. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Never too late to throw it all away yeah. and start a band. Danny talks about watching videos. I mean, I've, I've gone back and some videos from concerts that they've been to. I watch a lot of interviews. I'm sitting here laughing at all, all of them, all, all three of the videos that I've seen. And Tim gets a little bit too into Brandon's lasagna recipe. Yeah. 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 Mm. Yeah. Yeah. All that and a little bit more on the next episode of Sultans of Slack. See you then.